Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Luna Love of the Podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Araqual people of the Bundjalung Nation, and pays respects to elders past, present, and emerging. I'm your host, Jordana Levine, and I have a little bonus episode of the podcast for you today that I think you're going to love. And yes, love is the operative word here. I thought that Valentine's Day would be an excellent opportunity to talk a little bit about what astrology can tell us about love and dating and relationships in terms of compatibility love patterns, challenging love placements in our chart, but most importantly, the gold that we can learn from astrology is how we can understand ourselves when it comes to love, dating, and relationships, and in turn, others, yeah? I'm also going to dispel a bunch of ridiculous astrology myths you've likely heard about dating certain signs. And I'll also answer some questions that you guys sent through on Instagram. I'm going to start off by saying what I would hope is obvious, but I get a feeling that maybe it's not. You cannot just look at two people's sun signs and say whether or not they're going to be successful in a relationship. I hope after last week's episode where we discussed the basics of understanding the natal chart, It is so goddamn obvious that there is so much more to a person than their sun sign, that it goes so much deeper than just having similar interests or the same sense of humor. A good relationship will encompass how well you're able to communicate with each other, if your values are in alignment, how combative or confrontational you are, the ability to understand each other's emotional expression hold space for each other's desires, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, knowing you're a Pisces and your partner is a Sagittarius isn't going to tell you anything about all those other facets of you or them, right? At the end of the day, a successful relationship involves two people who are willing to understand themselves fully and who are willing to evolve and grow together making space and endeavoring to understand each other's individual needs. And while this sounds ideal, many of us are approaching relationships from a place of insecurity, fear, control, victimization from past experiences, wounds, triggers, doubts. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds fun. 
I guess what I'm trying to say is before we start getting into the fun part of this episode, it is important to remember that humans are layered beings, yeah? Relationships take two layered beings and then create an intricate web of layers that also, I dare say it, go way beyond the scope of astrology. So while I'm going to give you some hot tips for understanding yourself better in love and hopefully understanding the person you're currently with or a potential partner, please don't make hard or fast decisions based on what you hear in this episode, okay? (laughs) I will accept no responsibility for what happens from this point forward. All right. Do you remember in last week's episode when I said there are no good or bad charts? Yeah, it's just a matter of where your energy naturally wants to go and then you make choices of what you're going to do with it, right? Well, there are also no compatible or incompatible charts. There are challenges for sure. There are pressure points that you might have to actively work through. Just as there will be charts that look like you two would be an absolute dream team and then the relationship doesn't work out because, you know, he's void of emotional vulnerability, completely self-absorbed, refuses to do the work to clean up his baggage from previous relationships. Oh, sorry. I forgot I was recording. (laughs) Never mind. Um, You get it though, right? Just because it looks perfect doesn't mean the two people within that chart are using their energy, making the right choices, are using their energy in the right way and making the right choices in their life. Just because someone's chart looks perfect for you, it doesn't mean they've made the choices to make the best of those placements. In astrology, when we want to dissect intimately whether a relationship will be challenging or complementary, We do what we call a synastry reading, and it basically creates a bi-wheel of your natal chart and their natal chart and places them on top of one another. This shows an astrologer where their planets fall on your chart and what aspects your planets make to theirs, yeah? And then we can do it in reverse where you put your chart on top of their chart and see where your planets fall in their chart, you know, vice versa. This is advanced astrology, yeah? I bloody love doing synastry readings. They're one of my favorite readings to do because you can tell so much about a relationship. Caveat though, synastry charts should only, I don't know if all astrologists say this, but this is just from personal experience. I think synastry charts should only be done for established relationships so you can learn how to navigate the relationship better. Not to be done when you're dating. I have made that mistake in the past. Um, Not to be done too early when both partners yet are not willing to put in the work that might be necessary to overcome certain obstacles and hurdles. In general, I just have to say, as an astrologer, it's hard because a lot of the men I date like freely give me their birth time. I don't even have to ask them because they think it's really fun. But I would prefer not to look at someone's chart straight off the bat. I would really like to try and get to know someone before I start making judgment based on certain placements. All right, that's just a little dating caveat. But let me go back to synastry charts. When looking at two charts for relationship connections, it is always of primary importance to look at the dynamics of each of the people involved as individuals 
independently and separately from each other, right? So basically what we do is we look at one natal chart and, well, this is how I do it. I look at one natal chart, look at their patterns around love and relationships where their strengths may lie within both and then look at the other person, look at their patterns, then look at the charts together, yeah? What we're looking for here is not, is this going to work out? Is this not going to work out? We're looking for what one person needs to learn concerning relationships in general and what type of person may be the best teacher for them within relationships, yeah? As well as identifying like any blocks, any fears and expectations around uniting with other. We look at stuff like the sun, moon and rising triad. Um, For example, are relationships primary in this person's life purpose? Yeah. So, you know, if you've got a very Libra heavy chart, that's saying to me that relationships are prime focus for you, right? Or any of the water signs really. But if you're an Aquarius or a Capricorn, it doesn't mean that relationships aren't a big part of your life, but it's not your primary focus in this lifetime. The other thing we sort of pay attention is to the relationship houses. So having a look at the seventh and the eighth houses, the planets that are in them, the sign on the cusps, and also the ruling planets location in the rest of the natal chart. Definitely having a look at Mars and Venus energies, where they are placed, how they're motivated, how they're aspected by other planets. Uh, looking at things like stelliums, looking at the planetary chart ruler, any major aspects that could be talking about relational dynamics. And then sort of having a look at like, what are the lessons here that each individual needs to learn in terms of intimacy? Yeah. What are their blind spots? What are their shadow areas? There's ways that we can sort of look at an individual's chart and say, what would be their natural mate? Yeah. If we're just looking at where the energy is naturally going in the chart, what is the natural mate for this person? And what particular gift does one person bring that the other person might find difficult or challenging when alone, right? The idea is we want to be able to complement each other. When dealing with the connection between two charts, we're looking at the dynamics of two lives that have come together for the purpose of soul growth, yeah? That's a strong relationship. If we can look at each individual in the relationship as being a teacher for the other, then we sort of can look at the synastry chart as what lesson is one teaching the other as a player in their story. So for example, if your son falls into their seventh house, your soul arising, bringing life and energy to their house of relationships. Then, like I said, you can flip the chart around, yeah? And you learn who is teaching what in the relationship. Anyway, synastry is a very complicated uh, way of talking about compatibility. It's not what we're going to talk about in this episode. I just wanted to let you know how intricate and intimate we can get with compatibility in relationships and it is done through the synastry chart. I do do them. I do do synastry readings for people but I only do them by application and the conditions are that both parties in the relationship have to be willing to have their charts read 
and you must be in an established relationship, yeah, not just dating. And the other person has to know, right? We can't just do it for the guy we've got a crush on or gal we've got a crush on. Um, I also have to have read at least one of your charts. It's not a cheap reading. I'm just going to put that out there because there's a lot of prep involved in synastry. Yeah. Basically, I've got to read both of your charts individually and then I've got to read them as two versions of the bi wheel. So it's almost like four chart readings, right? In the one in the one session. Um, if I've done one of your charts already, then it's just the the secondary person's chart and then the two versions of the bi wheel. However, if this is something that you and your partner would love to do together, I think it's a really beautiful way to understand each other deeper and look at how you can evolve together as a couple. If you want a synastry reading done with me, uh, what's the best thing to do? Why don't you DM me on the Lunar Lover Instagram account at Lunar double underscore lover and I can talk you through that. But like I said, you have to have already had a reading with me, at least one of you, um, and it does come at a price because it's it's a big time zapper, that one. Anyway, fun thing to do. One more thing before we move on to the fun part of this episode. The other chart that can be done, and I usually include it as part of the synastry reading, is what we call a composite chart. And a composite chart's kind of cool. It's when we run both charts together and create a chart all of its own. And that chart becomes the chart of the relationship itself. Yeah. So the relationship gets a sun sign, a moon sign, a Venus, a Mercury, a Mars, all the things. It gets all the signs in all the houses. It's a very uh, mathematical thing. You can't just sort of do it with your mind. You have to put it through a computer program. It's based around the what we call the midpoint technique. And it's sort of locating the shortest midpoint between each partner's planets. Yeah. Um, the composite chart has a mission statement. I guess you could look at it like that, like a mission statement for the relationship, something that it strives towards. Yeah. It sort of looks at the relationship from a bigger picture perspective, much like the goals and intentions of, you know, a business. It's actually pretty cool. I love the composite chart. So for example, your relationship could have a Leo sun, yeah, and uh, Scorpio rising, yeah, with a Libra moon. That would be a fun chart. I'd like that. I'd like that as a relationship chart. Um, lots of sexy times. All right, um, let's get into the fun stuff. I mean, that was fun, but this stuff's going to be even more fun. Okay, so if you do want to have a look into someone and see if there's any kind of relational potential, the first thing you want to do is either add them on one of the astrology apps, although you know I don't love those apps, but you could do that, I guess, or just ask them their bloody birth time. Um, It's the only way we're going to know more information and we need more information because I'm telling you now, their sun sign is not going to be enough. What we want to look at to start with, really simple place to start, is the primal triad, yeah? So the primal triad is the sun, moon, and rising sign. Do you have similarities there? Perhaps the elements are similar, yeah? So looking at whether you're both, you know, water heavy or you've got you've both got earth signs or fire or air. Or if you're a Leo sun, do they have Leo in their primal tri- triad? If you have a Libra moon, do they have Libra in their primal triad? 
Again, this isn't enough to discount someone, but it's a really good place to start. Yeah. And I find most people, including friends and colleagues, will be attracted to the sign of something within your primal triad and you attracted to them because of this as well. Yeah. So for example, I have a bunch of Virgo friends. I have a Virgo moon. I also tend to attract and be attracted to people that have Gemini risings. Yeah. Because I am a Gemini, but I also have a Gemini rising. I also have a Gemini Venus, which could explain that as well. Of course, like everything in astrology, we can go even deeper with all of this. Say you're dating a Scorpio sun with a Scorpio Mars and a Scorpio rising. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Congratulations. That's intense. Um, And I'm sure you're having some great sex. No, I actually dated a guy with, fuck, he had at least four Scorpio placements. um, And he was actually super, super, super sweet. And the intensity I expected from him um, was was thrown off by other aspects in his chart that brought in this sort of sweetness. But yeah, the sex was really good. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Um, so anyway, they've got, where were we? They've got a Scorpio heavy chart. You may not have any signs in Scorpio, right? And you might be like, oh, well, this isn't going to work. Look at all that Scorpio. I haven't got anything. But you might have your sun, your moon, your Venus all in the eighth house, yeah? This is going to give you a deep understanding of Scorpio energy. Or maybe you've got Pluto, which is the planet that rules Scorpio, as quite a prominent planet within your chart. It might be making some hard aspects to your moon, yeah? So there are so many layers to this, like I said in the beginning, but looking at that primal triad and going, do we share any common signs here? And if not common signs, common elements. Now, of course, you know, when we're talking about love, we do need to go deeper. We need to start talking about the planets Venus and Mars. Venus is going to tell us about how we love, what we're attracted to, what we find beauty in, whereas Mars is going to speak to our desires, our passions, what drives us in relationships. And Yeah, also sexual attraction. All right. So, for example, I am a Gemini Venus and a Scorpio Mars. And I always find myself attracted to Scorpio men. And Scorpio men seem to always be attracted to me. Right. And they're not really sure why. And I say, I have my Mars in Scorpio. They didn't know that. Um, And also, they usually have some sort of Gemini placement, yeah? And we'll go, we'll go into why that is a little bit later on. Um, I felt, I can't, it's so funny, like when I was putting this episode together, I kind of, I mean, I could just keep going and going and going, but it kind of feels amiss as little miscommunication to not factor Mercury in when we're talking about relationships, because of course, communication is paramount in relationships, But we're not going to dive into it in this episode. But look, something to keep in mind. Like, it doesn't have to be, is my Mercury placement compatible with his Mercury placement? Like, are we both Earth Mercuries or, you know, are we both Air Mercuries? But looking at 
the other person's Mercury placement. Sorry, I keep saying he because I date men, but I am well aware that men listen to this podcast and date women. Women listen to this podcast who date women. Men listen to this podcast who date men. We've got they's in there too, right? So please excuse my use of pronouns. I'm just using it for me because that's who I would be dating. All right. Um, So when we're looking at the other sex, right, if I'm looking at their Mercury, I'm hoping that there is something within their Mercury that speaks to a placement in my chart, yeah? Because it enables me to understand their way of communicating. Here are a few things to consider that I have found in readings and in my own life that tend to work when we're sort of looking at compatibility. But again, none of these are hard and fast rules, right? So like take or leave. The first thing I find usually works out pretty well, and you've probably heard this before, is if your moon sign is somewhere in their primal triad. Yeah, it can indicate that they understand your emotional self and what gives you a sense of security. There's like this familiarity there. I don't know if you guys remember this. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, so you shouldn't have forgotten. What I meant to say is, I don't know if you saw this, but there was that viral moment on the red carpet. I think it was at the Oscars. Oh no, it was the Golden Globes with Andrew Garfield and Amelia de Moldenberg, where they'd had this like really meet cute moment. And then he asked her what star sign she was. And it was the same as his moon sign. And she was like, is that good? And he's like, yeah, that's really good. So Andrew Garfield knows what's up, knows what's up, right? So matching your moon sign to either their sun sign or their rising could be a really good place to start. But again, not a hard and fast rule. And when we say matching, compatible, what does that mean? Well, what you want to either look for is the same sign would be good, but again, matching the elements I think is a really good place to start. And we're going to talk about the elemental ways of relating in a few moments. The next thing that I really like the combo of is a moon and Venus combo, yeah? This kind of shows that there's a positive flow between feelings and attraction. Simply put, one person needs to feel emotionally satiated is the exact type of energy the other person values, yeah? So look to the elements more than just the signs themselves here. So for example, if you have an air moon, looking at whether or not they have an air Venus. They also say, um, I guess mainly in heterosexual relationships, but I, I personally believe that you can apply it to any relationship, that a woman's Mars sign will indicate what she's attracted to in men and a man's Venus will indicate what he's attracted to in a woman. Kind of works with my chart, but again, not a hard and fast rule. I think the Mars-Venus thing goes further though, and of course, I'm talking about sexual attraction here. Obviously, physical intimacy is a huge, huge part of romantic relationships, and to glean insight on how two people connect sexually, it is helpful to look at Venus and Mars. Again, not a hard and fast rule though. I have been surprised. Venus is the planet of values and Mars is associated with energy, drive, determination and libido. I like to say, um, I actually heard this 
one time. I can't remember who said it to me. It might have been a tutor or maybe it was a podcast I was listening to. Anyway, so I do credit this to someone, not me. But they said, Mars governs anything we thrust. (laughs) Which is kind of true, right? It's like the warrior's sword, but also the other kind of sword. Um, Mars will basically reveal your approach to sex and sexuality as well as what turns you on, yeah? So strong compatibility between Venus and Mars shows a healthy flow between values and sexuality. It doesn't just have to be the same sign or the same element, but an understanding of what those signs require. For example, a classic example actually is Gemini and Leo, yeah? Different elements, different modes, but they're both, playful, fun, experimental, love to put on a performance. Yeah. Great combo in the bedroom. A Leo Venus and a Gemini Mars would make great lovers, but also, you know, they might not. (laughs) No hard and fast rules. Um, The other thing to look at is your descendant line. We spoke about this briefly in the last podcast episode. The descendant is the opposing sign to your ascendant sign. So your rising sign. Your descendant basically represents what you look for in a partner, as well as your approach, behavior, and predisposition in relationships. All right. So if you know your rising sign, you want to have a look to the opposite Sign. I'm going to tell you what the opposing signs are now. Apply as you will. Aries is opposite Libra. If your ascendant sign, your rising sign is in Aries, then your descendant line is in Libra. If your ascendant is in Libra, then your descendant is in Aries. Get it? All right. Then we've got Taurus, Scorpio, Gemini, Sagittarius, Cancer, Capricorn, Leo, Aquarius, Virgo, Pisces. All right, so descendant compatibility. For instance, if you are a Gemini rising, your descendant is in Sagittarius. So if your partner has planets or, say, the lunar nodes in Sagittarius, this would reflect strong compatibility because those Sagittarius placements are reflected as your ideal. Yeah? Even if your planet even if your partner doesn't have planets in Sagittarius, someone with Sagittarian type qualities, adventurous, comedic, philosophical would also reflect top-notch compatibility. All right? And that is a really 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 important point here, right? We've got all this stuff going on in our natal chart. You could, okay. You could have a f ton of Pisces in your chart, so like really dreamy and intuitive and creative and artistic, and a bunch of Capricorn, like really kind of serious and hardworking and ambitious, and none of the like fun, playful Leo, Gemini, Aries kind of signs, right? That does not mean you're not fun and playful. You might be witty AF and not have any air in your chart, yeah? That's fine. You still got all those qualities. So if someone's descendant 
is looking for those qualities and your partner still possesses them, that's compatible in my books. Make sense? Overall, I think the best thing you can do is understand how you function in relationships and how your chart communicates to where your evolution and growth is, yeah? Then it's about understanding the other person. So I'm not going to go through the signs of each planet because we would be here for absolute days. (laughs) What I'm going to do is split it into elements. And I want you to consider your moon, your Venus, and your Mars, all right? Now, of course, like, Your sun and your rising are going to play into it, but your moon, like I said before, it's your emotional self and it's what you desire from an emotional security perspective. Your Venus is your values and what you're attracted to, and your Mars is your desires and your sexual attraction, right? So I think looking at moon, Venus, and Mars is really important here, but also, you know, if you relate from a sun or rising perspective, that's completely normal as well. All right, so let's have a look at the fire signs. So the fire signs are Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. They are passionate and adventurous. They're all in. If you want love to escalate fast, date a fire sign, (laughs) yeah? They want fun. They want to play. They want action in and out of the bedroom. They can be very impulsive and headstrong, and they're more kind of like the act first, think later type of peeps. Um, fire needs to watch that they don't burn out too quickly when it comes to dating. They're usually the initiators um, and they like to initiate, so let them initiate. They will give love generously, but they do expect it in return. And like, good on them. I would expect it in return too. I haven't got any fire in my chart. Um, They are attracted to ambition and courage and they just want everything to be exciting. Yeah, some kind of like things about fire signs will say they're really selfish lovers. I don't believe that to be the case. Uh, They can be for sure, but they can also be very generous lovers. (laughs) Generous lovers. I didn't mean lovers in the bedroom. I meant suitors, generous suitors. Um, All right. But also maybe in the bedroom. I couldn't tell you. Um, Could I? Maybe. All right. (laughs) Let's move on. All right, earth signs. We've got Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. The earth signs are all about stability and security. Yeah, they can be a little bit more conservative when it comes to love, really needing to feel the foundations are in place before committing. But once they do commit, it's usually for the long term. Earth signs are looking for a dependable, reliable, and consistent partner. And they offer the same in return. They're usually quite sensual, especially Taurus. Their love language is acts of service, especially Virgo. And they're ambitious, have good values, and they love tradition. Earth signs like to follow the rules. Yeah? Again, this is about security. Now, I just want to remind you that the rest of your chart obviously is going to play into this, yeah? So if you have an earth moon, but the rest of your chart is fire, it's not likely that you're going to agree with everything I say about the earth signs, right? So you have to do a little bit of mixing and matching here. Um, And again, when you're looking at 
a potential partner or a current partner's chart, you want to keep that in mind as well, right? Yeah, they could have um, an Earth Venus, but they're failing to commit and they're living, you know, the the life of a player. Um, just because their Venus is in Virgo doesn't mean, you know, they're they're ready to settle down. All right. <laughs> Let us move on. I feel like this is just caveat after caveat. I don't want anyone's heart to get broken. All right, let's keep going. Air signs, little smarty pants, Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius. Air signs want intellectual stimulation and good good communication, right? They're the two biggest factors for them. They crave variety, experimentation, and social connection. Air signs are always looking for new experiences, people who spark their curiosity, and they love spontaneity and the element of surprise. Air signs are usually the flirts of the zodiac and probably the hardest to pin down, but they just require a little bit of patience and someone who's happy to go with the flow. Yeah. Now saying that, I am all the Gemini um, and I... I'm a great flirt, but I don't think I'm flighty. I'm not hard to pin down at all because I have a Virgo moon, right? So it grounds me. So even though my Venus is in Gemini and everything else is in Gemini, my Virgo moon grounds me. All right. Last element is water. Water. Can I, can I get a, can I get a tar glass of water? Um, I will have one tall glass of Scorpio, please. All right, the last element is water, and that is Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. Water is all about the depths of feelings, yeah? They're emotional and intuitive, but also moody and secrety and live for intensity. They value intimacy and connection, and they're looking to form a deep emotional bond. They need a partner who is emotionally available, supportive, and compassionate. Dating an impatient, independent, or self-centered partner will not bode well for the water signs. All right, so like I said, you want to do a little bit of mixing and matching there. I hope you felt seen in either all of those elements or the elements that were um, relevant to you, and perhaps you got like a little bit more of an understanding of the people that you are relating with. All right, next what, next thing I want to do is dispel a few myths about some of the traits of each of the signs um, and kind of like, I guess, maybe a better word than dispel is like the origin of where these bloody memes came from about the signs, yeah, or certain tropes. The first one I want to start with is that Aries are selfish lovers. Now, um, they might be. I I have dated an Aries and he was selfish AF. But in saying that, I know a lot of Aries that are not selfish AF. So let's talk through where that came from. If you listen to last week's episode, you know that the evolution of the signs begins with Aries and Aries is about the self. It only knows the self, right? It hasn't experienced the world yet. So yes, they are very self-focused, But remember that that is one element in their entire chart, yes? So everything else is playing out as well, 
right? So we can't just say Aries are selfish lovers. That is a false statement and I do not believe it to be true. Uh, what do people say about Taurians? Uh, Taurus are stubborn and lazy uh, and those both those things <laughs> can be very true. Now, I have got a lot of experience with dating Taurus men. I did it for most of my 20s. I don't know why, but somehow I ended up there. Um, they can be all of those things, but they can also be, I think the stubbornness, and this goes for all of the earth signs, it's about endurance, right? It's about sticking to your values and endurance. And this is where I think the stubborn thing comes from. The lazy thing, yeah, they can be a bit sloth-like, but, you know, as a projector, I kind of warm to that. Let's think of it as rest, recharging. Taurians know how to do it. All right, I've got two about Gemini, and that's probably not fair, but um, as a Gemini, I hear both of these a lot, and they're just not bloody true. So let's talk about both of them. The first one is everything you read about dating, they say that Geminis will cheat. Don't trust a Gemini, they will cheat. I have never in my entire life had the desire to cheat on a partner, like not even thought about it, right? I've never dated another Gemini, but I know lots of Geminis and they have never date, they've never cheated on their partners either. I think where it comes from is that Geminis do like variety um, and they a lot of Geminis do find it hard to settle. I don't, but some Geminis do um, because they get bored very easily, right? Now, what that's saying is like if a person gets bored in a relationship, their first desire is to want to... Um, commit adultery. Uh, that just sounds like a bullshit trope to me. So I want you to um, dispel any any um, preconceived idea you had about your Gemini partner cheating on you. That is redonkulous. Uh, the other one about Geminis is that they're two-faced and can't be trusted. <laughs> Which is pretty mean, right? <laughs> the two-faced thing, I'm sure we've spoken about this on the podcast before because it fucking annoys me but the two-faced thing is about the twins the twins are not representative of two faces the twins are representative of polarities and being able to see all sides yeah the polarities in the instance of the twins is the physical self and the higher self yeah the spiritual self so that two-faced thing is bullshit and we can be trusted we're very trustworthy i guess the other thing about gemini's is they do like to gossip and this does, this is a truth. I can back that up. But that doesn't mean that they can't keep a secret. So if they can't be trusted is stemming from that, then also I would just like to dispel that myth. All right. I got this one on Instagram. It's about Cancerians. I've never heard it in my life, but let's talk about it anyway, because obviously she's a Cancerian and has heard this. It's what it's that cancer women are toxic. Never heard that in my life. Cancer women are nurturing. Uh, they're protective. They will do anything for the ones they love. If you are looking for someone to be completely and utterly devoted to you, date a Cancerian. That's all I'm going to say on that. Leos are egotistical lovers. Um, sure. I mean, I think Leos can, in their shadow side, be quite egotistical, but they are warm as all hell. They are full of joy. Um, they are playful AF. They are generous, generous lovers. They are loyal to a T. Yeah. If you want a loyal lover, date a Leo. Uh, Virgos are boring. 
That's not true. Um, I have lots of Virgo friends. None of them are boring. If you want someone, again, to be devoted to you, date a Virgo. They love to be of service. They love to feel useful. They will do so many wonderful things for you. Virgos make great partners. I've got a Virgo moon. I'm a little bit biased. Uh, Librans are codependent. They can be in their shadow side. Yeah, they can be codependents codependent their objective is duality they're looking to form connection sometimes this can be codependency but a healthy vibration of libra is connecting as a full person right so no you can't say that i've dated one libra and a couple of libran moons and none of them were codependent all right quite the opposite actually Hmm, concerning not concerning that's a good thing okay Scorpios okay this one came from Instagram but I'm sure you guys have heard it before Scorpios are great in bed slash Scorpios are sex addicts slash Scorpios are kinky AF I want to address this one I did I did it in the Scorpio season episode um and I try and talk this through with any Scorpio or anyone who has Scorpio placements that comes to a reading because I know we've been joking around, but this one's actually a serious one. So all of the signs um, have body parts that they kind of rule and Scorpio is ruled by the sexual organs, right? Um, There is so much suppression around sex within our society, yeah? Comes from all different angles. It could be coming from your upbringing or religion or just societal expectations around sex, right? There's lots of shame. There's lots of guilt. There's lots of all these things. Scorpio needs to be able to express themselves through the genitals, right? So sex, of course, is the most obvious way to do that. It is a form of release for them. It is a form of expression. It is a healthy form of expression for them. I think where we get into tricky territory when we say things like sex addiction is that perhaps there hasn't been a healthy channel for that Plutonian energy to be expressed, yeah? Scorpio placements in the 12th house can sometimes speak to sex addiction um, or any kind of aspect where Neptune is making a hard aspect to a Scorpio planet or to Pluto could also speak to sex addiction. Um, But in saying that, you know, I think Scorpios allow themselves to enjoy sex and I think that's wonderful. And my history says that they are really great in bed. So I will tick that myth as true. All right, um, let's move on. Sagittarius are bad at commitment. Well, where did that come from? Um, Sagittarians like to be free. Yeah, they love freedom. They absolutely love it. They like diving headfirst into everything. There's a level of blind optimism. They don't want to miss out on the next experience. That might be where that's come from. In saying that, most Sagittarians I know are in long-term relationships, right? Um, yep. Yep. All That's all of them. So um, get rid of that one. I think that's where it's come from though. Yeah, they like their freedom. They like their adventure. They would like a partner who respects their freedom. Yeah, they can commit to a partner who respects their freedom and a partner who wants to go on adventures with them. 
And remember, we're not just talking about sun signs. We're talking about moons. We're talking about Venus. We're talking about Mars. We're talking about all the things. Um, Capricorns, avoid of emotion. We've spoken about this one before. They are not void of emotion. No sign is void of emotion. They just like to be able to understand the emotion. All right. So if you're dating a Capricorn moon, oh, I've dated a few of those. Oh my God. I shouldn't say, ugh. I've dated a few of those. Um, what I has found, what, what I has found helpful, what I've found helpful with Capricorn placements is talking it out with them, asking them, um, what they are feeling, helping them understand their feelings if they're open to that. Um, it just takes some good communication with Capricorn, right? They might want to put it in a spreadsheet for you. Maybe that'll be helpful. All right. This one came through on Instagram. Aquarians. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it's actually so true. Aquarians will ghost you. Again, love their freedom, right? They love their freedom and they love technology. So it's funny that they're ghosting you on the apps. I think this is where this question came from. Um, not all Aquarians, not all Aquarians, but again, Aquarians like their freedom. They like their independence. They're all about being the individual, right? So they do not want a partner that puts them in a cage, who shackles them in any way, who doesn't allow them to fully express who they are. Yeah. They need to be able to express their eccentricities, their quirks, what makes them original and authentic. All right. So will they ghost you? Maybe, but I can't say that for all Aquarians for sure. Um, and the Aquarians I do know, again, like we've got to know what's going on in their, the rest of their natal chart. I was about to say the Aquarians I do know would never do that, but they've got like, you know, some Pisces and Scorpio in the back ends there. Oh, and my... <laughs> I'm going to say it here because I know she's listening and last time it was Aquarius episode, I didn't get to say it. I said I had no Aquarian friends and I was lying because my very good friend Betsy, hi Betsy, is an Aquarian. She is in a long-term marriage. They have a baby together. There was no ghosting involved. All right. So Aquarians can commit and they will not ghost you. Um, Last one. Now, I had never heard this one. I am an astrologer. I've never heard this and I was doing an interview for something. The project, right? Big TV show. And the journalist said to me, why are we told to never date Pisces men? I'd never heard that before. And I can't imagine why. Well, I couldn't imagine why at the time. And then I had to think about it. So it's likely you guys have heard this one too. Apparently it's a popular thing on TikTok, <laughs> which means it's true. Um, I think what it would be about avoid Pisces men um, Pisces are very emotional. They can get lost in fantasy land a little bit. Um, they're also prone to escapism, right? I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about this in the Pisces season episode, which is coming out later this week, by the way. I just wanted to sneak this Valentine's Day episode in first. But Pisces are prone to escapism, especially if you've got a lot of Pisces in your chart. And escapism can manifest in different ways. It can manifest through addiction to you know all the things you can be addicted to but alcohol drugs sex lollies <laughs> food um gaming is a big form of escapism um but also pisces men i guess can be very 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 in touch with their emotions like all water signs right 
Um, so that is likely where the avoid Pisces men came from. But I also think Pisces men are beautiful and they have, they're so creative. They have amazing imaginations and I would not write them off. All right. How long has this been going for? A oh, very long time, long episode. Sorry. The episodes are going to get shorter again. Um, I don't know if you guys are into long episodes or not, but anyway, I think this, I think this information is all important. The next thing I want to talk about is a pattern that has come up so many times in readings. Um, And I look, I mean, there's so many different relationship patterns that come up, but this one comes up again and again, and I've got it twice in my own chart. So I know it quite well, and I just want to explain it to people. So if you have got your natal chart handy, I want you to have a look for any combo of the following. Neptune in the seventh house, Venus in Pisces, or Venus in the twelfth house, or one more, Neptune making a hard aspect to your Venus. Now, that's probably going to be a little bit harder for you to find unless you're well versed in astrology. Um, but maybe like Neptune square your Venus or opposite your Venus. Um, but yeah, the main ones are Neptune in the seventh, Venus in Pisces, or Venus in the twelfth house. Now, they all sort of speak to this idea of romanticizing, idealizing, and fantasizing about love. Now, that all sounds very romantic and nice, right? But what happens when we're dating or in relationship is instead of being present in the moment with our partner, we romanticize about what that relationship could be. We automatically, not based on anything they've done or anything they've said even, create a alternate reality of them and the potential of this relationship. And we date that, right? Now, I have my Neptune in the 7th and my Venus in the 12th. So this has been hard work for me. If you can relate to this with or without those placements... The idealizing, romanticizing, um, and fantasizing about a relationship not based on the actions or reality of what is going on and then being thoroughly disappointed when somebody doesn't meet your expectations or the pedestal you've put them on, then I want you to think about this. (laughs) Stop it. Can you stop it? No, no, it's not that easy. What I've had to do is I have had to continuously, it's a practice, it is in your natal chart, so it's going to keep coming up again and again and again. I have to be very conscious when I'm entering dating situations or when I'm in a relationship that I am dealing with the person in the present reality, the actions they're taking, the things they're saying match to the actions they're taking. And the universe that we exist in now, not the alternate universe of the future that I've created, right? It's a constant, constant practice. It's a love pattern I want you to notice within yourself. Don't look for it in other people's charts. That's their own work. That's their own growth and evolution. But if you do have those placements, I'm telling you now, it makes relating difficult And it's something that you need to be able to address, yeah? So again, it's about coming back to the present. What's happening today in this relationship? What are the actions they're taking now? All right, now that's out of the way. 
Let's move on to some of your questions from Instagram. All right, I'm pulling them up as we speak. Let's see what we've got here. Oh, this is a really good one. All right. Are compatibility aspects in astrology different between lovers and friends? Well, when I said do a synastry chart and a composite chart, um, you can do that with anyone you're relating with, right? So you could do it with a partner, but you could do it with a friend. You could do it with a business partner. Business synastry charts are incredible and I highly recommend doing them. Um, So business synastry. And also composite charts for both of those. Any kind of relationship, really. You could do like a mother-daughter dynamic. You could do, you know, any form of that. Um, Don't do it with your pet. That'd be weird. (laughs) Haven't done one with Poppy. Don't be ridiculous, guys. Stop it. Um, All right. Next question. Oh, wait. So, no, there's more to that. So, yes, there's that. And then with compatibility. Yeah, totally. I mean, you'd look at different things. Um, I think... The primal triad connections are important. Like I said, I always seem to attract friends that have Gemini rising or Virgo somewhere within their primal triad. Um, That's not a hard or fast rule, of course. But if your primal triad is showing up in someone's, you know, um, uh, personal placement, so Mars, Venus, Mercury, sun, moon, rising, then yeah, that's the, and the reason for that is you attract your friends, right? Like, I mean, sometimes when we've got friends from high school, we're friends with them because (laughs) we were put in the same class um, and we happen to still like them very much. But as we get older, we sort of attract people towards us much like we do love and relationships, right? And so, yeah, you will find like people always say to me in readings, oh God, all my friends are Aquarians or my kid, you know, even my kids are Aquarians and all my friends are Aquarians. And it's really strange because I've got an Aquarius rising and I'm like, well, that's not strange. That's not strange at all. You're attracted to them. They're attracted to you. So yes, we can apply compatibility between friends and lovers like we would. I just wouldn't be so concerned with say the Venus Mars connection, right? Or even the Venus Moon connection. But definitely the primal triad connections for sure. Okay, how accurate is natal chart compatibility? Well, as accurate as you bloody want it to be. Like I said, someone's chart is reflective of where their energy naturally wants to go, but it comes down to the choices they make. Like I've said before, I might have said it in a roundabout way, but I'll say it clearly here. I've been in relationships where our charts are really compatible and not just from the naked eye perspective, but like doing a synastry chart, like planets sitting beautifully with each other, making amazing conjunctions. Everything looks like it's going to work out. Um, It hasn't. And it hasn't for various reasons, either, you know, one or both of us, but mainly them (laughs) have not evolved into the potential of their chart, which is so fine. I mean, that's human. Most of us haven't. We're still living our lives, right? We've got these lives ahead of us to grow into our natal chart. Um, but yeah, like is compatibility foolproof? Is it something we can rely on? Is it 100% accurate? No, no, it's absolutely not. All right. It's just something to work with, something that could add a little bit of depth, but mostly add understanding. All right. Um, all right, let's go back to these questions. Okay, look, there's like multiple versions of this question. So I'm going to use this question um, and we'll go from there. Will poor tender-hearted Pisceans always feel hurt by micromanaging Virgos? <laughs> 
Well, Virgo and Pisces are opposing signs. Um, And again, I don't know if I've mentioned this. I don't think I did. Opposing, it's not that opposing signs shouldn't date each other. If anything, opposing signs are there to teach each other about the other person's qualities, right? So for example, here, the Virgo has much to teach the Piscean about structure and order. And the Piscean has much to teach the Virgo about free-flowing creativity, right? Um, But we cannot, again, we cannot just judge someone on their sun sign. We need to be looking at the rest of their chart. Okay, I had this question come through. I answered her privately on Instagram, but I wonder if many of you are also thinking this. So I just want to state it again. I think I spoke about it in last week's episode, but we'll talk about it again. So someone messaged me on Instagram and said, I recently met a guy and in some ways he felt super familiar and others a mystery. I decided to look up his chart and found that from Jupiter down, I think she must have been looking on CoStar, but let's say Jupiter and then she means Saturn, Neptune, Uranus, Pluto, um, our charts were identical, but all the major players were different. What is your interpretation of similar charts? Well, this is what I said to her and this is what I'll say to you. All of those outer planets, so Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, People your age, and then for those bigger planets, sorry, those outer planets, Neptune, Uranus, Pluto, people of your generation are going to have the same placements, yeah? Those planets move very slowly. So it is likely that everyone your age, a year or two above your age and below your age, are going to have the same Jupiter and Saturn. And everyone within your generation is going to have the same Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. All right. So that's not weird. That does not make you guys compatible. (laughs) All right. It's very, very normal and not unusual. All right. Here's a question. Are there any absolute no, no matches? I think I've answered this, but I'll just answer it again. No, absolutely not. Um, There is like, you know, it, it is easier to understand and you will be familiar with signs that are within the same element that you were dominant in, right? Um, But there is no no no's, right? Even dating the opposing sign is not a no-no. Like I said, there's always something to learn. The other thing you might want to look at is like, if you have a very earth dominant chart or wait, let's make it a bit more interesting than that. Let's say you have an earth and fire dominant chart with a little bit of air, but there's no water in your chart. It wouldn't be a bad idea for someone with some water in their chart to come into your life, yeah? And help introduce those elements into your life, how you can feel deeper, how you can bond deeper, how you can connect more, right? And we're not looking for someone to fill our gaps. It's not what we're doing. But um, there is magic in that, I think. All right, that's all the questions. I'm sure you're going to have a bunch more. So I will at some point this week put up a question box and you can ask me some more questions. But just keep in mind when you're asking questions, whether they're questions that many people are going to get value from the answer from, um, if it's specifically about you, what you might want to do, this isn't a hard sell, but kind of is, is book yourself in for a reading. I do do relationship uh, pattern readings, right? So that's not for you and a partner. That's not the same as the synastry reading we were talking about earlier. But so you can identify what the patterns are within your natal chart. 
um, have a look at what some of your love patterns are, where your strengths are in relationships, what you can look for in a partner. We can sort of break that down a little bit more and see what partner would be suitable to you. Um, So if you're interested in that, you can click the link in the show notes of this episode or head to jordanalevine.com forward slash readings. All right, my loves, this was a bonus episode, which means you're getting another episode this week. What the hell? Yes, there'll be, I don't know when it's coming out. Hang on, let me just check. Um, oh, it'll come out on Friday. It's for Pisces season and the Pisces new moon, which is happening on Monday. Um, so you will have Friday, Saturday, Sunday to get well acquainted with the energy before Monday's new moon. Um, If you want to have a natal chart reading, follow that link I just spoke to you about. You can book in for the relationship reading or a natal chart reading or a solar return reading or a career reading, whatever you want to do. Um, What have we got left? I think we're in late March now for bookings. But like I said, I say it every episode, but they will book up. So book them in. Um, some exciting things. I know I keep alluding to them, but I'm actually going to tell you a little bit earlier than I expected. Um, so stay tuned for those things. I think that's everything. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed it, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. Word of mouth is always good too. Um, and if you have any feedback or anything, um, I love praise. (laughs) If you have compliments, uh, you can DM me on Instagram at Luna double underscore lover. Until Friday, I'm Jordana Levine and you've been listening to Luna Lover. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 